millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This is Internet Marketing. Hello and welcome to the Internet Marketing Podcast brought to you by Site Visibility. I'm your host, Scott Colnut, and with me today is e-commerce consultant, Luke Carthy. Hey, Luke. Hey, Scott. How's it going? Good. I'm really excited to talk to you and um, particularly to spend some time talking exclusively about e-commerce. I know you spend your time, your days and nights looking at e-commerce sites and (laughs) analyzing them. And so you're the perfect person to talk to about the topic today, which is features and functions that users find irresistible. Um, So we're going to be talking about software, we're going to be talking about trends and features and functionality of e-commerce sites. But before we get into the nitty gritty detail of e-commerce, can you maybe introduce yourself to our listeners and your background? Yeah, sure. So that was a pretty fire intro there, Scott. So thank you very much. Now I just like this podcast uh, kind of lives up to it, but yeah, it shouldn't be a problem. But um. Yeah, I live and breathe the world of e-commerce, um, e-commerce consultant, predominantly uh, looking at SEO, conversion, and growth. And then in the center of that, there's strategy uh, in the mix as well. But yeah, I work with, with a bunch of clients. For me, it, it's not really the client size. It's more the, the problem they have and the solution they need and their hunger to change. Um, but yeah, that's what I adore, and that's what I love. And I've been a consultant now for just under a year so a freshman in the, in the space and loving it so far. Yeah, and I, and I wanted to just touch on that briefly as you've been in in-house roles and you moved into consultancy a year ago. I'm just curious to know what led to that consultancy journey for you and how's that been going? Yeah, sure. So, yeah, you're quite right. Been in-house, been agency side over the years. And uh, it was it was mainly driven by Moscom, to be honest. So I had an email what felt like forever ago now since COVID, but uh, about, call it 18 months ago from from someone in the MozCon team. And you know the, the kind of emails you get where you think, nah, it can't be real, it's spam. So I left it for like 24 hours and then I opened it and I was like, oh my God, I've been asked to speak at MozCon. So that was like the, the peak of my uh, speaking career. And then just as I stepped off stage, I had so many great conversations with some really big brands. So um, you know, Airbnb and uh, who else? Car gurus and people like that. And they offered me some incredible opportunities to do bits and pieces and work and projects. And I had to turn them down simply because, of course, I was employed at the time. And it mm-hmm. festered away in my head for weeks. And mm-hmm. um, from that point, I just thought about 
you know, moving on to uh, in, into the into the consultancy game independently, and uh, that that was the catalyst for me at that point. That's amazing. What a, what a great story as well. And had consultancy been on your mind prior to speaking, or was it all just did it all come to fruition after that um, speaking gig? Yeah, it, it definitely been on my mind before. So I, I have a business as well. So I, I have a foot in the door in terms of you know limited companies. I have a business, believe it or not, in the world of promotion and products. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So it, it's always kind of been there for a good number of years, but there, w- there was definitely a dream um, some years back, to be honest, to kind of go solo. But I, I didn't expect it to be as fierce a uh, an eagle in the back of my head as it was after Muscon. I just couldn't ignore it. So, uh, yeah, no, that's a great story and a, a great lesson already. Is just that uh, we hear it all the time of people that have kind of raised their speaking game and put their their vision or their voice out there and eventually managed to turn their careers around. And for you, you're a working real life example on our podcast of a, a speaking gig that turned into a, a, ultimately a, a bit of a changing career. Yeah. That sounds something to be really proud of. So I'm, I'm really interested to carry that on that conversation and see what you've been learning since and how that's, I guess, changed your maybe approach to e-commerce too. Sure. Um, you might, you might need to roll up your sleeves for this question. Cause this is a big question. So, and I'm going to frame it. Yeah. Good. Um, so one, speaking on the topic of e-commerce and when I knew I was going to be speaking to someone that, you know, spends a lot of time in e-commerce, one of the challenges that we face at Site Visibility and that I've faced personally over the years is working with market leaders. So e-commerce giants are already in a dominating position and then looking to gain some new competitive edge. So not only have they got the challenge of staying where they are and maintaining their position, but yeah. they're constantly looking for those new differentiators. And I just really wanted to speak from your experience on whether you face that challenge. And if you do face that challenge, how do you start approaching that problem? Yeah, that's a really good question, actually. And um, funny enough, that was actually, whether you've done your research, or this is just a mad coincidence, but that was around my MuzzCon topic, or it was, <laughs> um, I basically tore the arse, to be frank, out of a number of really big, uh, household names in the US, one being Home Depot, one being Best Buy, and I think there was another one in the mix as well, which I can't remember at the moment. But um, my point was that in that presentation, they have those exact same problems, right? Huge players, both in uh, online and on the high street. And, and, you know, how do you constantly find those new opportunities or, or new ways to engage and, and grow? And for me, it's it's looking back at the basics. Like we do it as consultants, we do it as SEOs, we do it as digital professionals, we're always chasing the new and shiny. But we're also told that fundamentals are critical. You know, a, a dodgy foundation is always going to be a dodgy foundation regardless of how new and shiny your, your CMS is. So to give an example, I don't know whether they fix this, but if you did a search for, what was it now, customer services, for example, on the Home Depot website, you had no results found which I think is quite telling. It's only a, a, a specific, you know, one small example, but it just kind of shows that sometimes site search doesn't always have to be about products. It can be about a service or a genuine question that somebody has. Another example was category uh, tidy up. So I found thousands upon thousands of, of categories with filters applied that were totally devoid of products that were all exposed to Google, and some of them may have been indexed. So, you know, think about those as landing pages and, and, and how customers and the perception of customers landing there expecting to see products only to see empty categories. So the way in which we detect these can be complicated, but ultimately it's a really simple problem. 
do you have products in the categories, <laughs> right? And yeah, sometimes taking it back to basics. And I think having that really fresh perspective, fresh pair of eyes can be really helpful. So that's speaking, I guess, from the perspective of sometimes um, if you're in a market leading position, that's where consultants might come in particularly useful. So again, some people have in-house teams. Some people have the hybrid where they have an in-house team plus an agency. And then some people have all three where you might have an in-house team, an agency, and then also you bring in consultants for specific projects. Do you find that working with companies that have in-house teams, sometimes those back to basics can get forgotten? Is that something that you've come across? Almost all of the time, um, if I'm honest. And I think this is, funny enough, I was just having a conversation this afternoon um, with a, a good friend of mine um, about this particular topic. They're, they're jumping into something where they have zero experience in and almost like a, uh, a freshman in this regard. But as a result of having no preconceptions, and no biases means they're perfect for it because they can think of things more like a customer than more than a marketer. And you kind of have that sweet spot, right? Where you've been in a role for maybe six to 12 months. Um, that first six to 12 months is, is you learning and embracing the site with a fresh perspective or the business with a completely fresh point of view. But yeah, it, it happens so often where people just forget the basics um, or miss the basics. So there's always the new thing. There's always a new problem. But uh, juniors, I think just talking about, you know, structure in terms of the team, juniors are fantastic and worth their weight in gold because they're so typically willing to learn and know so little that can often be the most telling because they can find errors that maybe some of the most experienced veterans in the game would have missed. So, yeah, I, I think it's it's a massively undertapped um, resource or problem. Uh, and on a similar note, would you agree that user testing is also useful in that respect then? So I'm thinking about the angle of you of, of not having bias, which makes complete sense. And I think that's great advice looking to juniors in your team or maybe just looking for non-marketers in your team to assess your website from a non-biased perspective. But what's your experience in user testing? Have you ever found that useful to help find competitive edge and, and issues with e-commerce websites? Yeah, big time. Um, do you know that the best user testers that I find are actually my parents. Um, mm-hmm. They're brilliant because they're not technical nomads, right? They, they don't live and breathe e-commerce. So even me as an e-commerce consultant, although I have fresh eyes on each client and, you know, I'm skilled in what I do, I have probably more hours online on e-commerce site than maybe a typical customer would do. So handing like a tablet or a mobile or, a, or my laptop to mom. Um, or to dad or to someone who is not particularly tech savvy, you know, maybe someone that's elderly or something like that. Um, he's great because they just, because they're family, they don't care. So they'll just tell you exactly how to feel. You know, with user testing, sometimes people feel that because you've been hired, you have to kind of, you know, add a filter or not be as, as honest as you would. Well, with family and friends, they can just be raw and honest with you. And there's been so many times where even if they're not clients, they've been shopping websites like Next. I think recently shopping on H&M, someone brought to my attention that their user experience in the navigation is terrible. Like it's really difficult to get to kids' products. Um, I personally didn't find it that difficult, but when they explained the issue they had, I was like, wow, it's really obvious now. But um, yeah, user testing is massive. I, I almost always insist on it, but it doesn't have to be expensive and it doesn't have to be official in quotes you know just handing devices to people who aren't techie um, can be a great way of, of testing them 
And just uh, before we close out the topic of kind of finding that competitive edge for businesses that are already in, in market leading positions, let's say I'm a, I'm a marketer at an agency or I'm another consultant and uh, my client is pushing me to, um, you know, I've talked about going back to basics. Are there any other areas? So it could be resources, training, um, maybe it's just your talks, which you're welcome to self-promote, but that you'd recommend exploring that can help you generate ideas for how to find those competitive angles? Do you know what there is? Um, there's there's two two things that spring to mind. I just come before I enjoy them. The, the tools that I love are the tools that can explain themselves and explain themselves well. And the reason why I say this is because you know there's there's when you need to speak to stakeholders or senior management, you can't always be present in that meeting to send over evidence. Right? In fact, it's rare on occasion that you'll have. Uh, a meeting to show your findings and normally just be, hey, can, can you send us some data or send me a report? So I love to be in a situation where I can send things over where they're really simple, but not patronizingly so, just really easy to understand and can immediately show their value or highlight the problem uh, or even equally uh, highlight the fact that the problem you had has now been fixed. And there's two tools in my arsenal that I absolutely adore for this. One is called Search Sketch. And one is called Systrix, and I'll, I'll break either of both of those down. So SERP Sketch is a tool. It, the way I kind of explain it is it's almost like heat maps for the SERPs, heat maps for, for ranking. So, you know, as SEOs and as digital marketers, we have our own tools to track keywords, whether that's Ahrefs or independent keyword trackers. But imagine handing spreadsheets of data off to your CMO to say, hey, here's keyword performance or a data studio dashboard, dashboard with keyword performance in, it's a pain in the arse, and the CMO hasn't got time to decipher all of that information. Um, what Search Sketch does is show the uh, SERP landscape in a really easy way to understand. So you versus your competitors, how much of the SERP is knowledge graph, how much of it is the answer box, how much of it is FAQs and maps, so you can really get a feel for just the certain landscape for certain keywords. And you can also see how you stack up against your competitors. So it's a really visual way of deciphering um, the search landscape and also your kind of playing. So that's search sketch. I welcome anyone to go and check it out. And they've got a free um, trial and stuff. Secondly, Systrix. It's a beautiful tool in the sense that it has a lot of legacy data. It goes back all the way to 2007. So a lot of conversations with my clients are, hey, we migrated and now we're suffering uh, in, in a number of verticals, whether that's CRO or SEO or traffic's down or sales are down or whatever that is. Or they're not even aware they have a problem. They just know that sales aren't where they should be. What Systrix does, it's almost like a cardiograph for your organic performance since 2007. And there's nothing more telling than a simple graph to tell you whether traffic is up or traffic is down. Um, so there's no kind of really complicated pie charts in there, although they're there if you want them. But my point is you can very easily demonstrate and highlight a problem or a fix using Systrix visibility index to be more specific. And again, they also have a free trial. So they're my two go-to tools for just being able to simplify and easily demonstrate problems, solutions, um, or even buy it just to get someone to say, yes, I see the problem. I see it's a big problem. Go and spend some money all time. Awesome. I'm going to link to those in the show notes and uh, thanks for sharing those as well. I'm sure we no might worries. come onto the topic of uh, software a little bit more in a moment as well. But um, just moving on to features and functionality. So 
to start off with, what really what have you seen out in the world that's really exciting to you? Companies that are just doing an excellent job of providing a great user experience and maybe some examples about how they're doing that. Yeah. So I think as, as you know, product recommendations aren't new. Um, they've been around for decades, but and funny enough, there's so many different product recommendation vendors now. You'd think almost everyone who's serious about e-commerce would have their product recommendations game on point. Uh, but nope, <laughs> it doesn't <laughs> seem to be the case. But yeah, product recommendations are so just, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? They're kind of just like untapped, right? They're, they've just got so much potential. And I forget the exact statistic now, but again, presentation, I think it was even Moscon again, is that like, uh, the numbers I can't remember. So take these with a pinch of salt, but it was something really quite powerful, which is like a third of what we watch on Netflix comes from recommendations and like right. a similar number for what we buy from Amazon is from recommendations and those statistics, I know they're huge enterprise um, businesses and household brands, but it still sticks that good recommendations are worth their weight in gold. And I think there's a lot of brands out there that are lazy and just kind of do people who bought this also bought this. Um, And I think we're way beyond that kind of, because Every time Dick and Harry bought this, you're going to want to buy this. And I learned this lesson the hard way in, in pharmaceutical, actually, which funny enough is probably one of those verticals where you absolutely do not want to be on. Everyone else bought this. You should buy it to give you a point example. Um, for this particular brand I worked at, Kenny Starrett, the number one selling products month in, month out, week in, week out was always Viagra. But that was like, a small user base of all the customers. It just happens to be the number one selling product on the site. But for people who don't want that product, who don't want that medication, going onto a site and looking at, say, deodorant or, or you know, sun cream, you're not going to want to see Viagra, right? That's just not, it's not acceptable. So, you know, but, you know, there's so many industries that do that. And it, it, in fashion and apparel, it kind of works because of seasonality and trends and all that kind of stuff. But, personalization is huge and there's a couple of players in this space that I, I love and i've had experience of playing with one is fresh relevance it's kind of like a low-ish barrier to entry it's not super expensive and there's one other which is sale through um, which is not a very well-known platform but it's been around for years and again i adore it the, the level of granularity and personalization there is fantastic but yeah and do you, do you happen to know if those um those products or those services are applicable to all e-commerce websites or is it uh, platform specific? Um, no, they're, they're applicable to all. I think some of, you know, sell through is, is, is not cheap. So, you know, it wouldn't necessarily be great for a, an SMB, maybe like a basic Shopify site, but um, you know, at, at the, at the lower end, um, I'm trying to think of one. There's, there's one that's on the tip of my tongue, but if it comes to the art, I'll blurt it out here. <laughs> um, but I think that what I want to say here is that product recommendations or, to the to more poignant, good product recommendations don't have to cost the earth. You know, there's more to personalization and product recommendations than monetate because they're the kind of the household brand, right? They're like the apple of, of personalization and they're eye-wateringly expensive um, for good reason. Don't get me wrong. It's not expensive for no reason, but I think a lot of people think that good recommendations have to are expensive and that's, that, that doesn't always have to be the case. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? 
and some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wegovy and Zepbound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com/weightloss. That's plushcare.com/weightloss. plushcare.com/weightloss. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. And just speaking and breaking down product recommendations in a little bit more detail, I'm just trying to think of myself as a user. It, you know, we're not we're not just talking here about, as you said, on the actual product page where it says people also bought this. I think product recommendations now span they span the the post action, so it's post view, post buy, that's email. That's for me uh, the one that comes to mind straight away is uh, Amazon actually, and it's. Yes. Um, it's that where they send me a push notification that I've been looking at TVs and then like three months down the line, they'll, they'll pop me a push notification saying, Oh, you might be interested in a TV right now. I'm like, Oh man, I just, <laughs> you know, there's, there are so many different mediums for product recommendations. I guess, do any stand out to you that maybe I haven't mentioned there? You've got email on page SMS, any others? Do you know? No, not, not that, not that kind of spring to mind. I think um, you've got, you know, social retargeting and stuff like that, which are always a bit tongue-in-cheek, to be honest, because um, mm. maybe it's just because I'm bored of them, to be honest. But Instagram seems yeah. to be for every two posts you see from the people you follow, like there's two more ads. It's just yeah, ad heaven. And I think that's kind of – it may still work, and, I, you know, there's clients that still swear by it, but I just find it um, a really crowded place. But I think – you know, not necessarily any that are new or emerging, at least in my my vision, but the ones that I feel were the best and are underrated, again, are you now on the head, email. Um, yeah. In fashion and apparel especially, there's too many people, too many brands who are lazy in this approach and they send a blanket email um, or they might be segmented in the sense that they send, um, you know, an email to men and a separate email to women, Um but typically, it's kind of like a, a very generic, uh, broad, you know, summer clearance, sale, new in. There's never really that much personalization to it. And, uh, you know, this is a broad statement. I'm sure there's fashion brands out there that are doing a really good job of it. But there are surprising, you know, household brands like, for example, Burton. Um, I adore Burton clothes because I know my size and I'm a bloke. And I just man shop and get in and get out. But, you know, Burton, really simple. I browse their site all the time and i'm always looking in the same kind of sections you'd think they'd know they could personalize for me and send me stuff that's going to resonate with me but yeah email is a great one and i think also believe it or not post checkout it's like really infuriating right because you've already made a purchase 
But that's not necessarily a bad thing. So yes, recommendations at the basket, sure. Recommendations at the checkout, great. Add-ons, um, cheap add-ons. So like if you've got a couple of hundred pound basket, then why not look at some accessories that are two or three quid just to lift up eight of it. But post-checkout is really good as well because it can encourage another purchase afterwards. And I know that so some people are thinking, what do you want about doing? I'm going to have to pay delivery twice. Well, that, that depends on your use case, right? If it's digital goods or something like that, then that's not going to come into, that's not going to be a consideration or a worry, should I say, because it's being delivered virtually or if you offer free delivery, then it's not an issue. But equally, you could recommend items at the checkout that are costly enough to defeat the free, you know, the free delivery threshold. So yeah, that would be my, my input on that. I think that's a, that's really interesting, actually, post-checkout. And I was thinking to myself, I can't remember who it is, but I signed up to a publisher. It was a newsletter of some sort. And I signed up for a, an annual deal. And then post-checkout, I had this email notification that said, uh, which was basically an upsell. And it said, you know, you have the 60-minute window as you're a new user to claim this upsell. And that was a great example of post-checkout recommendations for uh, a way to upsell, yeah, beyond the kind of normal process. Um, so I think that's a, a great piece of advice there for for people selling digital goods that you've that you've noted there. Sure. On the uh, on the flip side, I want to know I want to know a feature or or piece of functionality related to e-commerce that maybe you're seeing all over the place that's driving you absolutely mad, and you just oh, know that God. maybe turns you off or turns users off. Go for it. Yeah, push notifications, mate. Um, I hate them. <laughs> I absolutely cannot stand them. Every time I browse a site, it's like, hey, can we send you this? Can we like, dude? No, man, I'm buying groceries. Why would I want to? push notifications to tell me that oranges are back in stock. Just no, stop it. Um, that's one. Uh, and the second one is pop-ups. In fact, pop-ups across the board, whether it's exit behavior pop-ups and, hey, did you want this? Or it's kind of GDPR, not GDPR, that's the wrong thing, but the cookie opt-in frigging windows. Like, I'm trying my hardest not to properly swear, but, like, this is how much they infuriate me. Um, especially when you've got them all in tandem, right? You've got the welcome pop-ups. Then you've got a pop-up behind it, which is, hey, can we get your consent to cookies? And then there's yeah. the one behind that, which is like, hey, can we send you push notifications? And it's like, do you know what? No. <laughs> just just no. <laughs> um, and especially if you've got live chat, like this is the one that really infuriates me because you've got live chat. You've got the live chat pop-up as soon as you enter the site. Then you can't close the live chat window because you've got another pop-up on top of it, which is for cookie policy. And then it's just like, do you know what? This is the worst experience yeah. ever and that's before you've even engaged with the site so i think that again back to basics right about what i mentioned earlier if someone actually just fired up that website in incognito and saw all of the carnage that's going on they might be able to realize why their conversion rates have gone down or why users are just leaving the site on entry page um, rather than using the new shiny stuff and thinking about migrating to a pwa and making things fast actually forget fast for a minute as important as it is and just think about Making the thing so it actually works would be great. So, yeah, sorry, mate. I went off on a tangent and had a mad rant. But, uh, yeah, I hate those things. <laughs> That's good. I think if there are any, any e-commerce websites out there, just uh, don't target Luke with any push notifications. <laughs> you, yes, you're not going to get the sale. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, and um, a, a similar topic, but I'm, I'm curious to know if there are any e-commerce, uh, again, features or functions that you think in recent years, or maybe right now as we're speaking, are moving from nice to have to actually essential and maybe expected by users. Is there anything that stands out to you? 
Yeah, again, these a lot of these aren't complicated. So I think I mentioned live chat, which is which is good. It has its place, but I think little things like in stock filters um, and just filtering items that are in stock is is really quite helpful. Because um, you'd be surprised at the amount of sites that don't have it, and especially with COVID, still kind of got its grip on on many company supply chains and volatility in stock and distribution. Um, that in stock filter can really be quite helpful. Um, and you think about things like uh, email campaigns as well, right? If you're sending a, an email campaign out to customers, then if there's a great way you can send people to category pages, but also apply that in-stock filter on the landing page, then you're not going to be sending people to a, a load of out-of-stocks before they even get down the page. So that, that's one that I, I, I really like. I think also being able to search within categories, this is probably more apparent for more of the technical kind of hobby-ish environments, but it works everywhere. Like fashion, maybe not so much, but um, my son and myself are really, are really kind of, we love remote control cars, essentially. We, we adore remote control cars, but the components we need are quite specific. So, you know, going to a category of, say, batteries is great, and there's like 2,000 different batteries to choose from. But being able to search for keywords in that particular category rather than just to search across the entire website yeah. is a really nice feature to see. And not a lot of brands do that. It's a bit of a mystery. So there, there are a couple of things. But again, you know, there's, there's a bit of a theme here. I'm not talking about anything that's super complicated or really kind of space agey. It's just good UX, right? Good experience. Yeah. I think outside of that, intelligent search, intelligent site search. And there's, there's a company, again, tip of my tongue, and I can't remember. I'm going to Google it while we're recording this. But um, yeah, yeah, that's fine. It's, it's smart enough where you can be really specific or really top level and it gives you great results so you know perfect in fashion where if i google if i did a sorry a site search for um men's t-shirt white size large just being able to take me straight to that product rather taking me to a list of stuff that matches that particular keyword it's intelligent enough to be able to search across facets and filters and sizes and i really i really like that because again not all men shop like me, but it's, you know, I just want to get what I want and leave. I don't want to have to go and browse through categories and, you know, shop the latest styles. It's not my thing. I know what I want. And to be able to just have a search that can, can interpret that search in a nice way, as long tail or as short tail as it is, I think there's a lot of power in it. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And uh, th- there's one that stands out to me, which I've been thinking about a lot lately, and I've been recommending to our clients and speaking to people about, which is, uh, payment installments and i'm just wondering if that's something you come across as well i feel like that's moving into an area of expectation from users even just as a consumer myself i'm looking for companies that offer like whether it's four monthly installments like ClearPay or klarna is that something you're seeing too i'm seeing a lot of it yeah especially in desirable desirable brands you know things that are kind of yeah i want this rather than i need this so again fashion jewelry designer gear um, yeah, it makes a heck of a lot of sense um, to offer stuff like this. And, and you've mentioned that more payment types are brilliant. So I want to give a shout out real quick to a company called Bant, B-A-N-K-E-D. Um, they are basically tearing up the banking world right now or, or payment world. They're basically um, an alternative to Visa uh, in e-commerce. Okay. But to briefly explain how that works, you can make a purchase online without having to actually use a card. Now, I know that's not that difficult now with things like Google Pay and PayPal, but PayPal's a pain because you have to log in um, and not everyone likes PayPal. Or if you're using Google Pay, you've got to 
you know, okay, it's easy enough to tap your card, but um, the way that banks works is you click on pay and then it takes to your banking app on your phone and you authorize the payment through that rather than using the card. And it's, you haven't even got to think about using a card. It completely changes your mindset on how you pay. You're paying ultimately via bank transfer, but it's immediate payment rather than through a payment gateway like, say, SagePay or Stripe or something like that. Um, and it's one of those things you need to kind of experience before you believe the hype. It's difficult to kind of explain it, but it's brilliant. And I've seen it popping up. And there's another one called Fast. But I think, yeah, disruptive payment methods um, is great to see. And the more payment options we have, it can only be a better thing. Yeah, that's brilliant. Great advice. I'm going to check those out as well. And um, I, I'm really interested in technology. So I'm someone that, I mean, number one, I shop around a lot. And number two is that when I get to a product page on a, on a technical product, I get into the kind of really geeky details of the product. I'm curious, just from you having spent time with different e-commerce sites, are there, are there any sites that you think do a particularly good job of product descriptions? Because um, that's something that comes up for me a lot as well, how to make product pages really engaging. Yeah, so product descriptions is yeah, it, it's a it's a topic that um, comes up a lot for clients because the question I get asked is, hey, do we invest time, money, resources into redoing our uh, our product recommendations? And the answer often isn't the same for every client. It, it really does depend. And it's, I, I hope to get through a podcast without saying the words, it depends, but it's genuinely <laughs> true. Um, because to give you an example, if you are a brand that resells products, then there's not going to be a great amount of value in creating rich, descriptive product descriptions because the, you know, people know what they want. It's from not necessarily all the time, but because it's you're reselling an existing brand, we've got their own brand site. Um, the same product is sold from multiple vendors. So, you know, there's going to be a good understanding of how that product or service works. Um, but when you're building a brand and selling your own product, then there's almost no excuse to not have really good product descriptions. And I don't just mean product descriptions in terms of long and detailed. I mean, like question answer based product descriptions. Like, what is this product for? Is this product for me? Should I use this and this together? Is this an alternative for? Um, and been able to answer those questions in the product description, I think is great. Um, but then equally long product descriptions, detailed product descriptions, you run into another problem, which is how much real estate does that take up on the page? Yeah. Um, but there's, there's clever ways to kind of take care of that, whether it's through accordions or having tabbed, you know, tab, se- uh, tab sections. Um, but yeah, I think that's the very kind of top level rule is do you sell your own products or are you reselling them? Uh, a product and um, yeah that's what I'd advise excellent and um, just closing out our podcast and I'm very prepared to have to cut you off here because I get the feeling you're going to get excited about this question but I can tell <laughs> that you're really interested in software so I can you're someone that you, you've spoken and provided several recommendations for software as we've been talking are there any software companies out there that you think are doing a really interesting job in the e-commerce space and that can be spanning CRO, SEO, content marketing, uh, all of the above? I really love SEO Monitor right now. Um, they're kind of like the underdog. They're, they're not cheap, though, which is probably the reason why a lot of people don't use them. But SEO Monitor is really cool from that point of view. Also, Content King, um, although I don't have a subscription myself, it's something that I've had the ability to play with for clients, um, you know, to let me to their accounts. 
um, and ultimately to explain SEO monitors. So it's, it's basically an enterprise SEO tool, but it's got so much cool data in which I can spend an hour talking about, which I won't, but go and check that out. And then what did I raise again? What was the second tool I mentioned? Uh, SEO monitor and oh, you made me forget now because I was listening it's, to you talking yeah. about it. <laughs> it was SEO monitor. And then I wish I could go else. back. I can't, I can't Ooh, go back in the podcast. Content King. There we go. Content. Content, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and Content King is brilliant because e-commerce is, is obviously those types of sites that change all of the time. And I mean, new products coming in, old products going out, stock status changes, canonical tags. Like there's just, it's a living, breathing thing, right? It's not like a static site. But Content King is really good at flagging these alerts, changes, um, content changes and beyond content, keeping you alert and on your toes with things that are going wrong or things that are going right. So that's one. It's like a bird's eye view of everything technical. Also, there is one other, which I cannot remember, but I know exactly what to Google to find it. It's about me a second. No, yeah. Little Warden app, which is great. Um, uh, yeah. So cheap for what it does, and it can absolutely save your backside from an absolute nightmare. Um, so things like 404 errors, that spike, which, let's be honest, in e-commerce kind of happens a lot. Um, domain's about to expire. I mean, you'd like to think it's taken care of, but you'd be surprised in that companies I've spoken about that have said, yeah, yeah, but we've, just, we've added a credit card, and it's fine, but that was three years ago, and that person's left, and the credit card's been cancelled, and you're back to lose your domain. Like, do you want to sort that out? <laughs> you know? Um so those are three big ones. There's, there's honestly loads of them. Software is, is yeah, it's definitely a passionate one um, for mine. But I think also, lastly, good old Google Analytics, because I did a talk on this, specifically how to build Google Analytics for e-commerce. And I don't mean basic implementation, like, you know, enhanced e-commerce and, you know, transaction tracking and goals and all that kind of. BAU stuff. I'm talking about clever ways like being able to measure um, lost baskets successfully and why you lost those basket, uh, baskets. So whether you can see an attribution issue where, not an attribution issue, sorry, that's something I was working on this afternoon. But whether it's a case if you've got an error message that fires and it's just kind of reared its head um, and that's the reason why you've lost revenue across a number of users. And I use that very specific um, Google Analytics thing that I built to identify a £30,000 a month hole for a client in lost revenue that they didn't know they had. It had been running for about six months, whereby there was a, an issue at the checkout, just to briefly explain the story, where if you entered an invalid card number, it wouldn't say invalid card number, it would just say error, yada, 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 from the Sage Pay APR. Um, but it would also then tell you to call customer services in my number. Most times, customers would just say, I can't be bothered. Yeah. Um, and just abandoned. So we identified that lost basket was as a result of that particular error message. We rewrote the copy for that error message and we saw an increase in 30k a month in the sales as a result of that. So my point here is that having eyes and ears with software is just CRO gold. And it doesn't always have to be expensive. That's great advice. And um, I'll link to it. Did you say that was a, a talk that you've provided on Google Analytics or a resource? It was a talk, yeah. So there might be a recording somewhere, but absolute worst case, there's some slides I can link the list of this to, um, to take it from. 
I'll, I'll link to those as well. Uh, you've been amazing to talk to and uh, provided so much useful advice and so much guidance in the world of e-commerce. So uh, thanks for taking the time out to talk to me. Do you, Before we go, do you just want to let our listeners know where they can contact you? Yes, um, absolutely. So you can you can Google my name. It's fairly unique. So I don't think there's any of the Luke Carthys out there that are on page one just yet. So uh, you can find me there. Twitter, um, at Mr. Luke Carthy, uh, LinkedIn, and then, yeah, my website, lukecarthy.com. But, yeah, my DMs are open. If anyone's got any questions or wants to have a chinwag about e-commerce, I'm all for it. Um, last thing I will say is if you have a Shopify store and you are using the standard Shopify search engine and you have a decent amount of users, I can almost guarantee there's golden nuggets of missed search queries in there because I use so many e-commerce sites that have this problem. So I, I don't have a solution for it, but I do definitely know that that's the problem. Well, actually, the solution is change the search engine. And I've gone off on a tangent right at the end of the podcast, but I wanted to just throw that in there. No, that's perfect. I'm happy. Uh, yeah, I could. You're someone who I could tell I could speak to all day, and who spends a lot of time kind of finding these great things, and also these things that probably tear your hair out. So, uh, yeah, excellent to talk to you, and uh, thanks so much, and enjoy the rest of your evening. You too. Thanks for having me. Brilliant. Take care. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 